Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. The state of the church can be discouraging, can make us wonder, what are we to do? What ought we to do? I had several conversations, one on Friday during the day, one on Friday night, one on Sunday, it was Sunday? Yeah, Sunday, uh, some folks, uh, someone stopped by to see us, and um, also uh, a message that I'm bringing to my uh, team, my basketball team, the, the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame Varsity Girls Players. So lots to talk about, all having to do with how do we live in today's church. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we come before you, for you are the King of all creation. You're the Lord of heaven and earth, and you are a good and loving Father to us, and I thank you for that. Holy God, give us the grace to discern. Give us the grace to live well today. Lord, give us the grace to know what to pay attention to in the details of our daily life. Especially, Lord, give us wisdom and insight regarding how to discern and respond to the signs of the times. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so a lot's been happening. I'm going to come around and talk about Bishop Strickland, Bishop Joseph Strickland, who was removed from... Uh, being the ordinary of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. He was removed as a bishop. He's still a bishop, but he's removed from his governing this diocese in Tyler, Texas by Pope Francis. And so I'm going to share a bit about my own background and experience of um, working uh, in uh, the church hierarchy, not as obviously as a priest or a bishop, but working with bishops <laughs> and priests and having many friends who are bishops and having studied in Rome for five years, and having friends who lived in Rome for decades and uh, worked uh, around the Vatican. So uh, I've got lots of experience to draw on here, and I want to give you some insight, but it, more important than insight around like what is going on there and what are we to do about it is really what are we to do with our lives right now. So I, I want to share with you a, uh, a little bit of a, a lunch I had on Friday with uh, Todd Herman. You might know Todd Herman if you listen to conservative talk radio in Seattle. He had a show there for a number of years and then um, chose to depart from his, his time there. He, he actually also was one of the regular persons who replaced Rush Limbaugh while uh, when Rush Limbaugh was sick, and so he was a fill-in host. So it's a fellow who, uh, is, he's very articulate and um, speaks with uh, clarity and conviction about things, and he ended up leaving uh, commercial radio and started a podcast, of all things, in order to be able to bring his faith more fully out into the open and let it be brought fully to bear in how he was 
talking about uh, the issues of the day. And so I met Todd, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. Uh, probably, yeah, longer than that. And, um, and, and we've stayed in touch through the years. And so he's over this way now. And so he's in northern Idaho. And I reached out to him and it just felt like, hey, let's get together. Let's compare notes because I was hearing some of the things he was saying on his podcast. And he also has some national radio programs. But he was talking a bit about the anti-Christian spirit that is moving from just sort of like, let's just say a background into the foreground of so many pressing issues and and even political uh, efforts and initiatives today happening at varieties of levels. And he was raising the question, what ought we to do? And I said, ooh, Todd, we got to get together. So I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about Friday night. We had a chance to get together with our married couples group. We're going through the book Interior Freedom and a very fitting book to go through as we're trying to also, I raised the question, what ought we to do right now? What is the answer? Are there answers for the troubles facing the church? And so some of these folks were from the west side, uh, from uh, the Puget Sound area, and they were talking about the challenges and the, the troubles that um, many parishes are facing because of this initiative that is going to lead to the combining and closing of a very significant number of parishes uh, in the Archdiocese of Seattle. And, uh, and, and this, w- this is a heart-wrenching thing that I've heard about from a number of people. But um, so second, I want to talk about that a bit. And then on Saturday, Bishop Strickland gets removed from his position in the Diocese of Tyler, te- Texas. And, and then Sunday night, someone came over. Someone came by our house and, uh, and was, hey, come on in. And so they stayed for a couple hours and had a really interesting conversation about, hey, what am I to do? And this was more about how am I to flourish having made the move over to Eastern Washington. And, uh, and, and just that reality of what's it like to live your faith in, here, here's the kind of word, in exile. You know, seeking a refuge is one thing, but experiencing a kind of being cut off from home quality to life is a real challenge. And, and how do you do that? And it, it, lots, so lots of pondering, <laughs> lots of pondering these things. And it actually, it, it connected to, it connected really beautifully to a message that I'm preparing to deliver later today to the Varsity Girls uh, basketball team at the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. Uh, and so, I, as you know, if you've heard me talk about athletics, the way that I see them helping young men and women to uh, exercise the kind of disciplines that will help them in their spiritual life by helping them in their own personal physical life and in their character, the discipline and teamwork and all those sorts of things. Um, but the message was, and this is, this is going to be my entry point, this will be my entry point, and then I'm just going to launch off from here, is the, the parable of the ten virgins that Jesus tells, uh, and we read at, we heard re- a pro- a proclaimed at Mass on Sunday. And you may have heard the explanation, and when I first heard it, I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's a really valuable way of understanding what the meaning of the parable is. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, 
and you know the context of Matthew is that Matthew is writing to a community of people who have already identified, uh, who are already identified in identifying themselves as followers of Christ, as as Christians. And one of the things that can happen in that scenario, in that circumstance, is that they identify with the faith, with a particular religion or religious practice. They perform outward signs of religion. And uh, But the question is, is the Spirit alive within them? And how do you know if you're really attuned to the coming of Christ into your lives and the following of him in the way that he intends? Because in the story, we have five virgins who uh, were able to, when the, when the announcement came, they got up and they followed, and five who got up and ran off to go buy some oil for their lamps. And the the insight is that the oil at the time of a Christ, at the time of Matthew, when it was written, when Christ proclaimed it, the oil and the oil lamp would have been understood by the Jewish convert hearers to Christianity, they, those that accepted Christ as the Messiah and are now members of the church, as good works. It's good works that is the oil and the lamp. It's the living of the faith that is the oil and the lamp. It is not just us saying we profess a faith, not even just going to practice that faith in a religious context, going to church, but it's the day-to-day living in a relationship with the Lord and moving in accord with his spirit by honoring what he asks of us day-to-day. It's doing good works. Faith works. True faith produces oil for the lamp. Oil for the lamp. What can you do with oil in a lamp? You can light up the house. You can see. You have light that then is shining around you. Oh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about you are the light of the world. People will see your good works and will glorify the Father. Your good works are light, but the light that comes forth from your good works, when they're rooted in faith, when they're rooted in a relationship with God, is in fact something that will shine the light of heaven on earth. It's the light of God breaking through into this world. And so that is something that I, uh, I'm bringing to the team. Why am I bringing it to the team? Well, you could you could probably get it right. Hey, I got ten players here on the team, and you're all here. But are you putting oil in the lamp? Are you just going through the motions, or are you going to work in a way that's going to shine? And we can use the word. You know, we can talk about it shining like a Christian spirit and how they treat each other, but also a spirit of striving for the greatness that they can achieve. The, the greatness that's available to them in their own playing of basketball, individually and as a team. And so I want to raise up, I'm going to, I hope, raise up a vision for these young women that practice is all about putting oil on the lamp. 
it's all about putting oil in the lamp. So when the, when the time comes, when the call is here, you will be ready. You will be equipped. You will shine a light into uh, onto the court, uh, and 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 you'll play your part. So, but this has this 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 also has a relevance to the court of life. This is very relevant for you and me, brothers and sisters, because you look around and you discern, like last week I was talking about discernment on one of the programs. How do we discern what God is asking of us right now? Lord, what do you, Lord, what do you want us to do right now? What are you asking of us right now? And in, in discerning, we're trying to sense, we're trying to distinguish among all the things that are showing up, where's God at work? What's God saying? And then how are we supposed to respond? And there are a lot of things that, again, my Friday lunch conversation, my Friday night uh, dinner conversation, the Saturday removal of Bishop um, uh, Bishop Strickland from Tyler, Texas, and then the Sunday evening conversation, common thread here, common thread. It's like, what are we to make of this? God, what are you doing? What does this mean for us? And so I, I want to I, I wanna start with a solution. I want to start with a solution, and it's a one-word solution. And I, I know when you hear it, you're going to say, oh, come on, Tom. You're going to have to give us more words than that because that's not enough. <laughs> or, you know, this is just being clever. And, and, and I'm not trying to be clever. I'm being genuine. I'm being authentic because I've given this so much thought, years of thought and prayer. And, and I will expand upon it, but I know that if we don't get this first word correctly, nothing else is going to matter. It really, it, nothing else will matter. And it stems from a story about uh, Father René Garagou Lagrange, a Dominican, uh, a theologian, a philosopher of the uh, of the 20th century, taught at the for a time at the Angelicum University in Rome, the Pontifical University of St. Thomas, and was considered one of the leading Thomists in the, in the, uh, the middle part of the last century. And there was a, the story goes that he was giving a lecture, I believe it was at the Angelicum, and he approached the podium, and so here, there's this lecture hall, and you know, it's filled with people waiting to hear this great philosopher and theologian, this priest and Dominican friar who is coming to deliver this message. He comes and approaches the lectern and puts down his uh, prepared uh, remarks. He looks up at the gathered audience and he says, God. And that's it. One word. God. Pauses for a moment. And then he walks off the stage, away from the lectern. And, you know, was this just something like a, a dramatic gesture that was attempting to uh, be a clever technique to get people to focus and, and stop for a minute 
and say, okay, wait a minute. What just happened here? Why did he do this? And get us to ponder what is the meaning of the word God? Who is it that we are pointing to, identifying through the word God? What does it mean to pronounce, to announce the word God? Or was something else at work? Was something else happening? What could that be? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. After I tell the story, I am going to humble myself. It's actually quite embarrassing, but it's true. And I share the highs with you, and I'm going to share the low with you when the low is actually a high. So... <laughs> If you don't know what I mean by that, just think of a, a scale, okay? My new low is is a high, okay? Uh, I think you get it now. All right. So let's come back around to Father Gar- uh, René Garagou Lagrange. Giving this lecture speaks one word, God, stands in silence, and then walks off. And I think there's something more going on. While I do believe that it's actually like brilliant, it's brilliant. How do you let's let's say you know uh, brush the dust off the word God? How do you uh, how do you take away the domestication of the word God? How do you help allow the majesty and holiness of the one whom we look to as the source, meaning, and goal of all that exists, and identify that one as God. And do we realize what we're doing when we use that one word, God? So I do believe that that is a uh, a beautiful and and profound profoundly insightful um, approach to say, like you could just say, hey, hey guys, everybody, did you ever stop and think we use the word God so casually? Did you ever think about what we what we mean and what we're pointing to when we say the word God? And uh, like, how, how do I shake you out of your lethargy and your casualness and, and the ease with which you use the word? God, God point, God's eternal. God is infinite. God is 
life. God is holy. God is perfect. God is all-knowing. God, God created all this stuff, and, and we haven't even scratched the surface of the wonders of, of the creation that, that he has uh, made. And, and then we can start thinking about the lives that we've lived and, 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 and what he has done to reveal himself to us, and he humbled himself. Right? Well, why are you so casually using that word God? And it, it, it's trite. It's, it's common. It's too casual. And so I do think that there's a, a way in which he may have been trying to shake loose that sense of, you know, remove your shoes, you're on holy ground. Yeah, the, Moses in the burning bush, right? Or the, even <laughs> the, the, the inscription over the, the door uh, or next to the door of the temple at Delphi, you know, know thyself, know thyself, which meant know, oh, created human being, you're about to enter into the presence of divinity. You know, that's, right, the Greek gods, right? So uh, know that you're not Apollo. Know that you are not God. <laughs> know that you are a little puny human being and act accordingly. So on the basis of what you know and see, now act accordingly. So he could have been doing that. But there's something else he might have been doing, and, and that might have been that he was caught up in the, the one who is conveyed, who is identified, who is named and, and thereby addressed in the word God. And so when he says the word God, he actually is being brought into and expressing or what's manifesting itself in that moment is the depth of the union that he has with the, the one who is divine, with God. And uh, you can think about it like this. Think about the person that you know, you love the most, right? The name of the person you love the most and think of the, the, the memories of the communion, the union, the interaction, the celebration, the life, the life-givingness of, of the one you love and then you name that person. And when you name that person, you just say their name, like I think I was saying my dad's name, George, and it evokes that Whole, you know, it, it evokes or taps into the the memories of of my communion and union with my dad over the ninety years of his life in my fifty nine years. Uh, but this is God, the living God. How much more? And so there was may have been a very humbling moment for him, where he was just overwhelmed that when he said God. God showed up. The God who was present became less obscure and more apparent. Became less hidden and more disclosed. And when the one who is divinity himself, the one who is divine, the living God, manifested himself as he spoke that word, as Father Garagrange spoke that word, God, it stunned him into awe, wonder, and silence. And he was brought to, speak, to, 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 to being speechless. 
that. Okay. That's a pretty long windup of a way of dressing one word. But that's the answer. Brothers and sisters, what's the answer to the broken church that is bleeding out members and has been bleeding out members for a generation now? We've lost the millennial generation en masse. Not completely, but significantly. We've, we've lost uh, Gen Xers en masse, not completely, but significantly. And then the younger generation, Gen Y, Gen Z, whatever you call them, the iGen, where are they? are they? Are they magnetically drawn to our churches? And is the church being salt, light, and leaven in the world? Well, it's feeling like the church is out of oil. Lamp's not burning. Out of oil. And we're out of oil because we are not soaking into the divine life. We are not sinking into the divine life. We are not allowing divinity to manifest itself more fully in our lives. It's not just that we are called to be holy and we have a mission. Holiness is our mission. Holiness is the mission. Without holiness, there is no fruitful mission at all. There's stuff getting done, maybe stuff getting done efficiently, and maybe there's some good results, but oh, there's not the light radiating forth from that lamp of filled with the oil of good works flowing from an intimate life of prayer that leads to people giving glory to the Father. And so that's in many ways what is going to be the common thread of where I ended up with Todd Herman at my lunch on Friday with the couples that were at our house on Saturday with the, the uh, family that stopped by on Sunday and even with uh, the Bishop Strickland removal that happened on Saturday. So please don't forget that. And it's not trite. It's not just, oh, okay, we've heard that before. Don't, like, tell us something new. Um, what's new is holiness. Holiness is new. Holiness is fresh. Holiness is young. Holiness is, is it, it brings release and relief, brings light and, 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 and joy that overflows. It brings all of these goods. And we won't get that until we experience it. We won't get it until we experience it. Okay, but let me give me more. I'm going to give you more because now I'm going to say, well, why aren't we holy? And I want to give you three reasons. No, four reasons. Sorry. <laughs> one connected to Todd Herman conversation. One connected to Friday night uh, interior freedom couples night uh, conversation. One connected to Bishop Strickland and his uh, being removed from office as bishop. And one connected to the Sunday evening conversation. Okay, we can roll through these. And this is gonna. This will take us through most of the rest of the program. So the first is, 
uh, the Todd Herman conversation, the, the thread that is common to our lives is that we were both led over here because of a tremendous trial and suffering that reached our lives. And he has a, I'll let him tell his story his way, but you've heard me tell our story our way. And what it uh, comes down to was our need to recognize that doing what we were doing stopped working. What worked in some contexts, what worked in the context of, of the life that we were living, it just stopped working. It wasn't working anymore, specifically how we were raising our kids. And darn it, we thought we were pretty intentional parents with all the things that we were doing, raising them, where we had them going to school, where we were going to church, the families that we were involved in, the married couples group that we were part of. We just thought this was enough in the culture, in the society, in the moment we were living to be able to overcome the forces that were at work coming against our kids' lives. We were wrong. We were wrong. And until we saw the poison, in fact, one of our kids in particular, it was just like, yeah, you know what? We thought we, were, we had it all together, and we did not. And that was pretty painful. That was a painful thing. And I, uh, I learned a very difficult but powerful and important lesson that a life with trials is more blessed than a life without trials. A life with uh, tribulation, a life with difficulties, crosses, is more blessed than a life without tribulation, suffering, and crosses. It's a mysterious thing. And I got to tell you, it was it was only because of those tribulations, the, the trials, the, the suffering, that I was so humbled. I, I was broken. I was broken from my arrogance, my pride, my thinking that I had it right, Carrie and I had it right, that we were doing it right, and, and therefore our kids were going to turn out right. And it was like a formula, and look at us. And it was just the house of cards, just falling when we were failing and it wasn't working and it was so not just humbling but purifying it pure it broke us and in 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 breaking us the lord allowed a whole new way of of being involved in our lives to come forward thank you i, I sit here and i say what i look back on in and the 2016 2017 2018 and those in those years especially, but in the years that followed, the, 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 the amount, the degree, the intensity, the extent of trials, tribulations, and sufferings, I look back on them now, I say, God, that was, that was the greatest gift you ever gave my family. I, I, I know you, you hear that and you think, what are you, insane? No. No, it was, it was only because of that that the Lord was able to uproot and break open, carry in my way of seeing the life we were supposed to live, the attitudes we had about ourselves and parenting and, and raising kids, and, and regarding the actions that we were called upon to take for the sake of getting our kids to heaven. Thank you, God, for loving us enough to not let us get away with stuff that would ultimately end up 
likely destroying the faith of our kids and giving us the the grace we needed to uproot and take the action that we were called upon to take to, in this instance, it was to move here for the sake of our kids flourishing and recovery of faith and flourishing in faith. And that's what happened. And I praise God for it. And so as Todd Herman and I were, were sharing stories, that, that whole theme of the Benedict Option came up. And that doesn't mean you have to move, it, it, it physically move. It does mean you have to move in a new way. You have to take a new kind of action, a new level of intentionality, a new level of seriousness, a new degree of commitment if your kids, if you and your kids are going to be able to live the life of faith. And then from there, if the church is going to have any impact in the world. Uh, but I, I'm, so my, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to the Bishop Strickland comment, but just let me focus it on the family for the moment and say, please, if by the mercy of God you're hearing this and your kids are young, just hear, hear what you can from this. But if you're living in the context of, of a society and a culture that is marked by anti-Catholic, anti-Christian approaches to marriage, family, children, gender, uh, sexual identity, these uh, sexual expression if you're not if you're in an environment where that stuff is coming at you full force it, it is it is washing over and soaking into your kids lives in ways that you do not have a clue and your kids lives are being their innocence their purity their modesty is being destroyed it is until you prove to me it isn't. Your expectation is that your kids are being exposed to pornography of the of the worst kind. Yeah, they're being exposed to heinous approaches to God, faith, the church, family, sexual identity, these things. And their faith is going to be undermined and overthrown and replaced. And hear it from me now. Take an action to save your kids. Whether you realize it or not, your house is on fire. It's on fire. The fire's not in the barbecue. It's not in the fire pit. Your house is on fire. And you're called to take an action. Now again, I didn't say you all are called upon to physically move. Some are. Some are. Some will hear this and it's like, yeah, I think I'm supposed to really think about this because there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. But if you're not, you can still... You could still respond by moving into relationships that are more intentional. They're more committed. They're, they're, they're more like, in other words, I'm not just going to go to church on Sunday and think that's enough. Take a look around you. The, the churches are emptying out. They're getting older. You've got to shut down churches to combine people because there are not enough priests and there are not enough people. So there's not enough money to keep everything going. And so let's just keep every. Are you paying attention to what's happening here? Not enough oil in those lamps. Not enough oil in those lamps. So you better find families that are like yours, that will walk together. And that might mean getting together regularly, every weekend. Getting together once a week. Getting the families together. Doing more together to grow in faith, live your faith, nurture your faith, be together with other you got to do it. And if you're older and your kids are out of the house and you're like, Tom, I don't get it. And the answer is you don't get it because you don't have teenagers. You don't have teenagers who are on the front lines. They are the front lines, brothers and sisters, 
or their or to their tweens. And so if you're like, gosh, please stop talking about moving. I'm telling you, I'm trying to rescue people off a boat that's sinking. And if, if, if you saw me doing that or getting people out of a house that's burning, would you complain? If you're across the street and in your house and it's not burning, and I'm out there screaming and saying, let's get into this house because it's burning and there are people in there and they're dying. If you're upset at that, please, please, <laughs> just just go into your room and put on some music and or, or get out and help me. Get out and help me get these people whose houses are on fire. It, it's, it's just true. It's just true. Okay. Ah, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I want to talk about... So that first option is that being intentional. And uh, Todd Herman, he told the same story, moving this way, and dozens of families followed um, when he moved. And he talks about the flourishing over here and his family and in faith. And that call is just more necessary than ever with the way things are unfolding in the church and in the wider world. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. All right. There's another humbling. That wasn't the humbling I wanted to talk about. I said that my humbling um, was that I reached a new low, and my new low was connected to a new high. So this actually is connected to my Friday night meeting, Friday night meeting with these couples. Thank you, Carrie, for doing this. First, she was meeting with the wives, and then the wives are like, why aren't our husbands here? They need to hear this more than we do. So we have been going through interior freedom. God bless us. It, we get through like a paragraph uh, in, in our time together, but it's a great time of fellowship. We pray a rosary and we share about interior freedom by Father Jacques Philippe. So uh, in the course of these conversations, it, it commonly will come up, what are we to do today to address what's happening in the church and in the world today? And the way that it all bubbled up last Friday was, not just become holy, but also do penance. It took on a kind of a Fatima flair, because uh, as you remember in Fatima, the Blessed Mother, Vision of Hell, the three visionaries, why are all these souls falling like snowflakes into hell? Because there are none to pray for them and to do penance for them that are near to death but far from God. And so that has been a theme in my life, do penance for souls that are near to death and far from God, offer rosaries for those that are near to death and far from God. And this summer, I received this beautiful grace of impartation to do this 21-day water fast, and then did two other water fasts that were shorter duration. And in the course, in the midst of all of it, I said, I will never return to the weight that I was at before I started the water fast. That's in my past. And I said, I, I remember all the yo-yo diets that I've done that I said the same thing. And I said, this is not going to happen this time. This is different because it's spiritual. <laughs> it's an impartation. It's an anointing. It's a water fast. And it's true. I didn't return to the weight that I was. I went higher. And it surprised me because it crept up slowly. And that was, is very humbling. So I am redoubling my efforts and turning back to the Lord with a humble heart and crying out to the Lord for the grace of being able to do penance 
and to work even harder at eating a healthy in a, in a healthy way, including some um, fasting, not the 21-day water fast, but doing some fasting and um, exercising more, more vigorously and rigorously. And so it's something I've committed to um, for Carrie and with Carrie. And I also know the beautiful spiritual benefits that are associated with doing that. And I, I share that with you just because we as a church today are weak on penance. We just don't hear about it, really, generally speaking. If, if you're hearing talks on, on doing penance and, and the necessity of doing vigorous, rigorous penance regularly as a part of your spiritual life, it's probably because you're listening to a talk on the internet, not because you're hearing it in a homily from the altar. There is the one in a hundred, um, but it was even less than that. I, I think I went a couple of, probably three decades without hearing a homily on doing penance, other than giving stuff up during Lent, N- never on uh, the rigors and, uh, and the fundamental importance of, of a rigorous penitential life for growing in holiness. And I, I really do believe that one of the reasons that we as a church, that the the oil is out of the lamp, not not completely, right? But the oil is out of a lot of lamps is because of a lack of penance as part of our attempts to follow the Lord and follow the holy God on the path to holiness. So um, I put that out there. So we talked about that on Friday night, that we have to become more holy, but boy, we have to do more penance. Uh, what a, doesn't that sound like a fun group? <laughs> But it's like, and, and this what, what this comes around to is you can't save everybody. You can't solve all the problems of the world. You can't like fix all the problems of the church. It's too big. It's too much. But what can you do? You can fast. You can take a cold shower. You can uh, sit in, in an uncomfortable chair rather than a comfortable one. You can choose uh, to kneel on the floor rather than on a kneeler. You know, there, there, there are literally drip opportunities dripping from your hands every day to do some fasting. So I, I don't know, I hope and pray that that's something that I share it with you again through my humble failure, but my willingness to get up and to push on, to press forward again. So, all right, let's go to Saturday. So Saturday, we hear about Bishop uh, Joseph Strickland being removed by Pope Francis from his position of governance uh, overseeing the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. And, you know, a lot of chatter, tons of chatter on the internet. Um, when I woke up early Saturday morning, um, I saw it. Carrie came out uh, a little later and she said, did you hear? And, you know, it, things started to pop up on social media. And, you know, there's a lot of, I, th- I think there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of bad commentary out there. Um, one of the pieces of commentary I thought was most beautiful was Bishop Strickland's um, own message. Shortly after he got the announcement, he recorded an interview with LifeSite News, and he gives this message, and he is, I, I, like, you know, I don't know if it's like his living room, there's a fireplace behind him, and he references the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary as the intentionally chosen context for his words that he's entrusting himself more fully than ever before into the hands of the, the, the sacred heart of Jesus and the, the blessed mother in her immaculate heart. And you know, how beautiful. And 
I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I've ever heard him give a talk. Like, you know, here's an address he gave at this conference, or, you know, here's a, a, you know, a book that he wrote. I don't think he's even written a book. But, you know, he's more famous for his tweets or for little snippets that maybe came at uh, when he spoke at a, like a gathering of the bishops or um, like maybe a, a clip from an interview, that sort of thing. But his message, I think it's about like 20 minutes long. So it's worth listening to because he speaks about his love for Christ, his love for the church, his love for the people of Tyler, Texas, and his hope, his prayer, his like urgent um, message to, to those that really do have a sense of like devotion to him and look to him as a spiritual leader in our times, like America's bishop, that he's like, please trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord our God who is Lord of this church and don't weaken your own adherence to the church. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about my take on this and, and help you understand it a little bit better. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So I want to share my thoughts about uh, Bishop Strickland and his removal um, from his position uh, as bishop of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. Folks that are uh, like chattering about this online, when they are um, against it, what they will say is, look how he's being treated. I thought we just had this synod on synodality and this openness to each other and dialogue and accompaniment. And here he is having a visitation sprung upon him uh, in the last couple months and then being asked to resign and then being removed from his position. And it's like, why would they do that to him when they let all these German bishops speak? spew forth these heterodox and uh, unorthodox and and even heretical, potentially heretical positions, depending on how you interpret them, regarding uh, their beliefs or pastoral practices that they are proposing or permitting in their own dioceses. So it's like, what what is going on here? Why Why is there somehow this uneven treatment that's happening in the church where there are some who are who are permitted to um, move into directions that are uh, at least uh, appear to be strongly against the entire tradition of our of our church, when those who uphold more traditional conservative position are being uh, are being rebuked are being punished, are being canceled and removed uh, from from ministry. Then there are those who are on the other side who say, hey, look, the things that he said and or implied, uh, things that are uh, implied in some of his tweets or even stated in his tweets or in some of his other interviews or a snippet of a presentation he gave, uh, show a, a lack of deference to uh, the vicar of Christ, to the Pope, and, and really put in question and can weaken the faith of the faithful regarding the validity of Pope Francis. So he is uh, not fulfilling his role authentically as a bishop uh, in Tyler, Texas, but using a platform and aligning himself with uh, internet uh internet uh, personalities who are extreme in their positions 
uh, in, in what they have to say about the Pope. So uh, often, you know, so it's, well, you're going to be associated with the positions of those you're hanging around with and, you know, you get your arm around them and you're applauding them and their ministry. It's kind of hard to somehow separate yourself from what their message or their tone is. And so, you know, I think that the, so their, their conclusion is the Pope did a good thing by saying we need to, I need to remove him. And, and then there are those who will say, well, there are other things that are not said. And, and those things that are discreet, they're held in, in a confidential setting, are actually the reason why he's really being removed. And you'll never know. You'll never find out. But it has to do with the way that he was governing the church or, you know, uh, the use of power or money or whatever, but you won't know, right? So, so trust in the process and trust that if he's being removed, it's for a good reason, right? So those are the, those those are the two positions that you have, and it's kind of hard to find a middle ground. So, well, where do I come in? What do I have to offer to, to all of this? Well, I, I have to offer the experience of working with bishops around the world since 1992, and before that, with the bishops of the United States, I was a consultant to the the then National Conference of Catholic Bishops. I was on the National Council of the National Council of I was on the National Advisory Board of the National Council of Catholic uh, National Council for Catholic Evangelization, which was this organization associated with the Catholic Bishops Conference to advance the work of evangelization in the country. Uh, I was a consultant to the Committee for Evangelization of the National Council of uh, National Council of Catholic National Conference of Catholic Bishops. I actually wrote a document. I was the principal author of a document uh, on uh, the, in the name of the bishops uh, of the United States that was submitted to a uh, a conference of the Pontifical Council for Culture back in the mid 1990s. So, in addition to that, in my work with National uh, of uh, Evangelization 2000, um, my organi- they, that organization, I was the head of the the uh, the office for North America and the Caribbean, and this was a worldwide organization again associated with the Vatican that in, uh, uh, interacted with the bishops of the entire world. And then for uh, well, since 1995, um, I've served a number of dioceses and bishops um, through the the apostolate that I've had, helping with leadership formation. I was the first layperson to give retreat to priests in the diocese of Peoria. Uh, I spoke to the, the gathered priests of the diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska, and these are two of the back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the two of the most conservative dioceses in the entire country, uh, and have worked with countless you know, priests, countless tons of priests, uh, as a coach, coaching priests, and helping them to be effective in ministry, as well as, you get the idea. All right. Um, in addition to that, last thing, I was a seminarian at the North American College in Rome, 1986 to 1989, and there are, I think now it's over 20 of the guys I studied with during the course of my years that are bishops or archbishops in the United States. And, ah, gosh, you know, it's got to be dozens and dozens of others that are vicar generals or vocation directors or in seminaries or holding important positions in dioceses. And, uh, and so I connect with uh, a number of these guys. And it, what, what does all this lead, lead to? Well, what it leads to is a, a phenomenon. And the phenomenon is this. 
the very thing that makes a bishop a good candidate to be a bishop is what makes that bishop ineffective when he becomes a bishop in our time. Okay, let me say that one more time. The very thing that makes a priest a strong candidate to become a bishop himself, yes, that priest should be considered a great candidate to be a bishop, is the very thing that makes that bishop impotent in the face of the challenges that we have as a church today. Well, what is that characteristic, Tom? That characteristic is deference. That priest defers. That priest is a company man. That priest doesn't get out of line. That priest supports, promotes, and advances the agenda, program, initiative of the bishop that he serves. And typically, this, this service happens in two different veins, either in the chancery, so that's in the, the, the actual diocesan offices and diocesan roles, where having those uh, administrative roles is someone who is saying, yes, Bishop, let me help advance the thing that's important to you, the agenda, the mission, the ministry, the activity, and let me tell you, for 20 years, I living on the in the Archdiocese of Seattle, I was serving bishops and walked with them and helping them to advance their initiatives and watched priests do this for 20 years, just up close and personal, not to mention around the country. Okay, so, um, so when these priests, and then the other the other vein is through um, being given larger parishes, so they have larger administrative. Uh, responsibilities and pastoral responsibilities, and you know, being part of these big parishes, they're running budgets and they have their own teams, and 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 they become again wonderful examples that are in line with, in lock lockstep with the bishop. So, when this happens, all of a sudden, one of these kinds of priests becomes a bishop, and guess what? They're not good at. They're not good at speaking out. They're not good at pushing back. They're not good at standing up and saying, "Hey, wait a minute." Something's wrong here. This shouldn't happen, and and it's it's sort of a you know it's it's a it's it's, it's just such a well known thing that if you want to advance your ecclesiastical career, just be quiet, sit down, and follow the follow the the line of the of the bishop that is leading you, or of the bishop's conference, if if you will. If if you want to be exiled into the furthest parish in the diocese, just speak out, just push back, just get out of line, <laughs> and you will be sidelined. And so that's the culture that exists in seminaries and chanceries and uh, in uh, among the bishops' conference. Get in line with those that are in power. Defer to them, but don't push back. Don't stand out. Don't speak up, because if you do, and you're doing so in a way that tends to be more orthodox or conservative or traditional, you are going to be sidelined. So. How that it all plays itself out here is I just consider it just the whole background. That's just the whole background. I'm not saying that it applies in a very direct instance here, one-to-one correspondence, but that's the spirit of what's happening in the church today. And ultimately, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons why our lamps are empty, is that the good works of courageous, prophetic leadership that's willing to stand up, speak out, and push back is lacking. Not in all our bishops, but in most of them, because of how they became a bishop 
they lack what it takes to actually be a fruitful, powerful, prophetic bishop that will lead our church today. That's why we have to pray for our bishops. We gotta pray for them desperately. We gotta do penance for them. We have to become holy. We've gotta fulfill our mission so that they can fulfill theirs. God bless your day.